listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 153, and today we are talking about books being released on April 10th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Amanda Nelson, who is not Rebecca Shinsky, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much. Rebecca got calls away at the last minute, so you're going to hang out with me today. I am. And I'm going to put emphasis on the and more part of the talking about books being released today and more, because I'm not talking about anything being released today, but Liberty is, so she has you covered. Yes. I am talking about other other books that are it, old. It would be unreasonable of us to be like, hey, can you sit in today and read four new books? I was prepared. Like, that was going to be my weekend until Liberty sent me a text and was like, would you rather just talk about different other books and I was like yes thank you <laughs> well I know you know you have a lot going on you know most people do just not me <laughs> you yes yeah. you do oh hush. yeah I have a lot of reading going on <laughs> that's about it says the um, woman who sleeps never I know it is true yeah it's pretty funny I've been putting up that little thing on my Instagram stories where my Fitbit tells me like how much I sleep and people are like dude yeah. You're gonna die soon. I'm like, mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's fine. A, it's, I'll die well read. It's fine. Um, before I tell you about my first book, I just want to give a shout out to Barbara in Wisconsin and her cats, the Z's. Uh, she answered the trivia question correctly on Book Riot Insiders on this week's All the Books chat. So I want to say hello to her. And now I'm going to tell you about my first pick, which is out today. It is called. You All Grow Up and Leave Me, A Memoir of Obsession by Piper Weiss. And it's so fantastic. Uh, Before I I explain any more, I just want to give a trigger warning for stalking and inappropriate relations between adults and children. Um, uh, I'll have all the times in the show notes for where you can skip these things. Uh, But back to the book, You All Grow Up and Leave Me. Uh, It's a true story. Uh, Piper Weiss grew up very privileged in New York City. She lived on Fifth Avenue, and her family lived on Park Avenue at one time, and this takes place in, like, the 80s and 90s. Um, And she went to a private school uh, where, like, several famous women have gone, like, first ladies and actresses, and um, basically, like, everyone did really well at this school. The the big threat was, like, if you didn't do well, like, do you want to go to a public school? Like, nobody wanted to go to a public school you know, and everybody just had, like, the most expensive of everything, and she took tennis lessons. She was very good at tennis, um, and most of the girls took tennis lessons. They went to tennis camps, and her teacher was a man named Gary, and he was not like other uh, adults that the girls knew. Uh, uh, several girls that she went to school with uh, were taught by him. Um, he was like a, he was like their buddy, you know, he was, like, she was, like, 14 when, when she started uh, getting lessons from him, and he was, like, 56 or something. But he was, like, her buddy. He treated the girls like adults. Um, you know, he let them swear and do what they want, and he had favorites, and he handed out, like, T-shirts, like, saying, like, you're the best student of the week, and he gave them treats, and he would call them at home and, like, talk to them, or he would call at home and talk to their moms and just, like, chat like their pals. Um, but it turns out that Gary had a very dark side to him. Um, and this was in the the time before, like, the internet when you could Google people and say, like, see, like, what they had done, you know, prior to being hired or, you know, really get the truth about people. And it turns out that he had done some horrible things that I'm not going to go into. And it ends up that he attempts to kidnap one of his students. Um, and when that fails, he took his own life. And so now Piper Weiss is writing the story of what it was like 
Um, when that happened, you know, she, you know, she wasn't really involved much in that story. You know, she was just a student of his. Um, but she, you know, she's like in her 30s when she realized like she had a story that she needed to tell. And it was this story about this man, Gary, and the things that happened. And at first, like, she tried to tell other people's version of the story. But, you know, someone really explained to her that this was her story to tell. Um, so it works really well as both a true crime book and also a memoir. I'm really into this combination that's been going on a lot lately. Like, I love these. And she just does this tremendous job. Like, she and I are the same age. Um, and so for me, at least, she does this tremendous job of cap capturing the era. Like, it, you know, every, like the um, references to all the, the stuff from the 80s and 90s. I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. And I forgot about that. And, and I really identified with a lot of what she talked about, including her obsession with Jim Morrison, which I also had which I would like slap myself silly now if I could like be like, what is wrong with you? Um, she had one of those and like she tells her story like about being a kid, like warts and all like, um, you know, she had a lot of anxiety about her mom and she's, she was um, considered, she wasn't as popular as her friends, you know, and so she was like the girl that the guys would ask, you know, her about her friends, you know, and not so much ask her about herself. Um, and she just, She's just a fabulous writer, and she you know she she also discusses like Gary after the fact, like what we know about about men or or people who behave like this, um, you know, and uh, how like stalking wasn't even a thing that was written about clinically until like 1998, like it wasn't like given uh, a term or even like taken seriously, and it's it's just so so fascinating. Um, so again, that book is called You All Grow Up and Leave Me, a memoir of obsession by Piper Weiss. Okay, so, so uh, my, like I said, my book did not come out today, the thing that I'm going to talk about now. Liberty actually sent me a series of like quest literary questions to consider, and I'm going to answer them. And I would really like, if, especially if y'all are in the Insiders channel, if you would respond to these with your what your answers would be, because I think they're so interesting to think about as far as like the history of our literary experiences, especially growing up. So anyway, all of that to say, you can like send them to me on Twitter or email them to the all the books email inbox. Or if you're in insiders, just drop it in there and I will come in and like squee over your answers. So the first question that you asked me was, what was the first adult book that I read and loved? Um, and I think we all have these, you know, you can remember reading whatever it was you read when you were growing up, Little House on the Prairie or, you know, Anne of Green Gables, those were mine. And then you discover like a grown-up book, <laughs> which I pulled off my parents' shelves, as I'm sure many of us did. And mine was Jurassic Park, um, which was amazing. And it wasn't just the first adult book that I read. Clever I also, girl. I, <laughs> yes. I also taught myself to type by typing the entirety of Jurassic Park on my what? computer. I know. I know. It's totally nerdy and bizarre. But we, I mean, I was in maybe fifth grade and <gasps> I read the whole book. And we had just gotten this really, really old school computer, um, and it had a word processing, whatever, uh, program on it. And so I decided that I was going to teach myself how to type. And so to do that, I just, you know, opened it up to page one and started typing the, the whole book. And I did the whole thing um, over, like, six months. And that's how I learned how to type. But anyway, if you haven't read Jurassic Park and you've just seen the movies, the book is better. Like, the book is better. It's not just... You know, the the book that I, the first book I read it as an adult it, or as a kid that made me a reader, although it is that, but um, it's just good. Like, it's so meticulously researched. It's so fast paced. All of his characters are interesting. Ian Malcolm is amazing. Uh, but Jeff Goldblum. So if you could do a thing where the book is better than the movie, but Jeff Goldblum is a better Ian Malcolm, 
than the Ian Malcolm in the book. So it's like if you're piecemealing it there a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was the first the first book that I ever read as a kid where I was like, oh, grown-up books are better. I'm just going to read grown-up books now. Anyway, I'm I'm just amazed by the typing thing. Still, (laughs) I know it was dorky. I know. No, it's kind of impressive. Thank you. Yeah, Um, I I've never read Jurassic Park. I should. (laughs) I've only read one Michael Crichton book, and it will surprise no one to learn that it was Eaters of the Dead. (laughs) Uh So, which was also a film which I enjoyed quite a bit. But I read um, so many of his books as a kid. And, like, I mean, they just a special place in my heart. You know, like, Andromeda Strain is so great. If you're into, like, I don't know, if you're at all a science geek, he's just, just scratches that itch. Sphere was very bad, I will say. Sphere is a stupid book. But the rest of them are great. <laughs> Jurassic Park is amazing. Andromeda Strain is amazing. I'm a little bit older than you. So Robin Cook was, like, the big one that I read when I was a kid. That was very similar to that. But moving on to things that are not anything like that. Uh, is our next sponsor, and Third Love is back. Uh, when it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G, and that's Third Love. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit and feel great. While most old school bra bands only carry 15 sizes, Third Love offers 60 sizes, including half cups, which no one else does. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering listeners 15% off your first order. To find the bra you've been waiting for, all you have to do is answer a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder quiz. It only takes 60 seconds, and you can do it all from home, and you'll never have another awkward fitting room experience again. So try a Third Love bra. It's so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing it. And if you don't agree, returns and exchanges are easy and free. So this year, make the change and change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com slash books now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash books. And I'm going to have to do this. Like, I have not tried the Fit Finder thing yet, but I have been, this year I've been exercising and dieting and I've lost a bunch of weight. So, like, I'm going to take the quiz because I need to get a different bra now. Like, they just, it's not fitting anymore, you know? Like, <laughs> this is not working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, you used to be able to see them from space, like, just in, you know, I put the east in breast, but now, like, <laughs> I need a different size, so I'm gonna try it, because, like, why not? I'm, ha- I'm like, all right, I'll try it, and then I'll tell listeners how the quiz is, too, so that's something to look forward to. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, I do. <laughs> I look forward to hearing all about that. So, and speaking of things people have been looking forward to, Cersei by Madeline Miller is out which is so exciting, uh, and I want to let listeners know there's trigger warnings for graphic violence and rape in the book. I'm not going to discuss that in the, the segment here, though, um, but I've mentioned this before. I have no real knowledge of Greek myths. I feel like everyone else knows all the myths and the everything. I have no idea. It's like this info that others were born knowing, like how to balance a checkbook and function as an adult, and these are not things that I know how to do. Like, they just, oh, everyone always knows these. I've never read, you know, the Odyssey or the Iliad, so that might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cersei is a nymph. She's the daughter of the sun god and an ocean nymph, and she's considered to be plain. She's called ugly. She's shunned. She's not special like her siblings or like her parents. Her mother is, is gorgeous. You know, her father is the sun, so... She's, you know, she's an outsider, um, but she does have an amazing ability 
to perform witchcraft and, you know, work with herbs and potions. Um, and from what I understand, because like I said, I've not read it, she's kind of a villain in the Odyssey. Um, but Miller takes her and, like, makes her this very complicated, relatable character. Um, she is eventually banished to an island because of, of others' fears for her. And it's like, it's, it's a Greek soap opera. This book is like, it's just crazy, like, violence and backstabbing and family problems and people sleeping together and, like, all this craziness going on. Um, but, like, historical and, and amazing. And, I mean, there are a lot of names, like, characters pop in and really quickly and then pop out again. Like, there's a lot of that to take in. I had to start making notes. But it's, her writing is so amazing. Like, it, it's just, and I found this to be, like, I love Song of Achilles, but I found this to be um, more accessible, if that makes sense. Mm. And she's just, and Cersei is just so great. Like, at the heart, this is the story of a strong woman who experienced the injustices served on women just for existing, you know, on women who were not considered beautiful, on women who were considered different, you know, and vilified for her abilities. She's just so relatable, and I absolutely loved it. Like, loved it, loved it. Want to read it again right away. Maybe I will do that. So, it is called Circe, and it is by Madeline Miller. All right, the second question that Liberty sent me was asking for my Swiss Army recommendation, which, if you're unfamiliar with this phrase, it's a book that you would recommend to anyone, no matter what, even if, like, if you knew nothing about their tastes or what they like. Um, this you, my Swiss Army Rec used to be the Night Circus, mm. but it is now the Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. <clears throat> and so this is the book that like when people find out what I'm doing at part, what I do for a living at parties. Oh, what should I read? Like I don't know you, but but I tell them <laughs> the Underground Railroad now every single time. And I mean, like I feel like I don't need to, especially if you're a listener of anything having to do with book right. We have sung the praises of this book for so long. I probably don't need to explain the plot to you at all. Um, but it won. So my day in the Pulitzer, uh, it was like long listed for the man Booker the year that it came out. It's historical fiction set during uh, pre-Civil War slavery in, I think it starts in Virginia, or no, it opens, it's not in Virginia, it's way, it's like farther south than that, Georgia, I think. Um, and you're following Cora, who's born on a, sla- on a plantation in Georgia as a slave, and her life is, of course, terrible. Uh, and she runs away as a young adult with another slave uh, named Caesar. And they get on the Underground Railroad, which in this book is not a metaphor. It's literal. So they get on an actual train that is under the ground and travel to South Carolina where they experience other kinds of injustices. And then you just follow her in her, like, com- her journey out of slavery. Um, and it is, it's very violent, it's violent, um, there's, like, some, I, you know, I've heard people say magical realism in it, because you don't know where the railroad came from, or where it's going, or who maintains it, so I think some readers sort of assume there's some magic happening there, but in the book, it's open to interpretation, um, he's, he hints that it's built by black people, so not magic. Um, but you know, it's like never explicitly stated. So it's got that it's, I mean, it's just got everything. It's a prize winner. The, the writing is beautiful, but not like experimental in any kind of way or inaccessible in any kind of way. Um, it, my book club read it. So it's wonderful for book clubs, lots to discuss, lots to pick apart. You don't have to be like a history buff. It's not historical fiction that is difficult to immerse yourself in. It, it isn't, um, like, so historical that people will be lost when they read it. Like, I would give this to everyone's dad, everyone's mom, everyone's cousin. So that's, yeah, that's it. The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Excellent pick. 
Always a good one. I actually, when I received the book, like as a galley, the first time I read it, uh, the publicist gave it to me and they're like, it's almost straight, you know, history, but there's something, you know, magical about it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I read it and I was like, what were they talking about? Like, yeah. Uh, and, and they were, and so I told them that and they were like, uh, the actual underground. I was like, oh, oh, of course. Like, it just seems so natural the way he tells it that like, I didn't even pick up on that. I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a line in the book where one of the conductors like explicitly, like they, the, the, they, Cora asks him where the railroad came from and he explicitly says the same, something like the same place that everything else in this country came from, which to me meant black people made it. Yeah. But other readers might have interpreted that differently. I don't know. But it didn't seem, like, actually magical to me. So, who knows? I mean, Whitehead knows, but I have not. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to corner him at a party and ask him someday. Yeah, we do have a habit (laughs) of cornering authors at parties like we're Yes. So, my next pick, I mentioned, I think, on our preview show, um, I'm just going to flat out say trigger warning for pretty much everything. This is a very difficult book to read. It's one of the most amazing books I've ever read. Um, It's also nonfiction. It's like two nonfiction wrecks in one show for me. That's that's unheard of. But it's called The Trauma Cleaner, One Woman's Extraordinary Life in the Business of Death, Decay, and Disaster. And it's by Sarah Cranostein. And Sarah Schmidt, who wrote See What I Have Done, uh, which is the Lizzie Borden novel, like, she was recommending this on Instagram or something, and I was like, oh, trauma cleaners, like, I have a bunch of, like, true crime books about, you know, crime scene cleanups and stuff, and she's like, no, 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 you very disturbed weirdo. Um, <laughs> that's not what this is about. This is not like that. I was like, oh, okay, so I got a copy, and it's actually, it's a biography. It's, and it just wrecked me. It's so devastating, but it's so good. I mean, it's very hard to read. It's definitely not for everyone. But it's about a woman named Sandra Pankhurst. She's in her 60s. She lives in Australia. And Sarah Cranestein, the author, she met her at a convention. She was sitting outside and she got her card. And she found her very interesting. So she asked if she could interview her. And she learned all about her. Um, Sandra runs a cleaning service. Like, there are, like, 99.9% of the population never thinks about the kind of things that, that this woman deals with. You know, she goes in and she cleans up after unattended deaths, um, suicides, people who are are hoarders. She helps them, you know, organize their stuff and clean up their houses, you know, like um, animal, like all kinds of stuff, just stuff that like we never would ever have to deal with in our lives. And, you know, she describes her as being like this very tall, blonde, kind woman. And she talks, and she talks about her. And it turns out that Sandra, she was born biologically as a boy. Um, She was raised in a very violent home uh, a lot of terrible things happened. She she grows up. She gets married. She actually has children. and But it's not what she wants. And she turns to drugs. Um, she becomes a sex worker. Uh, she, do, she has all kinds of different jobs. Um, and then she has gender confirmation surgery. And sort of straightens her life out. And it's, like I said, it's not for everyone. It's very hard to read. It's heartbreaking. But it's, she's just the most amazing person she has this amazing spirit and this resilience and her kindness just shines through like the way she treats her clients with such respect and and the way she handles her life and is just so like kind it's it's incredible it's just this really fascinating life affirming story and i absolutely loved it like as you can love you know a book like this so again it's called the trauma cleaner and it's by sarah cranestein 
wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. have that on my my like galley shelf and I had like not looked at it again and now I'm going to look at it again, but maybe with one eye closed. Yeah, well because it it it's got a, a dish glove, like a yellow dish glove with yeah. a spot of blood on it and it and so it sounds like you know, it's a book about, like, crime scene cleanups, and and that's not yes. what it's about at all. And that's what I would have assumed going into it, you know, if someone hadn't told me. It's that's exactly so what I assumed, that it was, like, that yeah. Amy What's-Her-Name movie. Oh, yeah. The redhead. Amy Adams? Yes, Amy Adams was in that movie about a crime scene cleaner. So I thought that it was, like, just about that. But nope. I was, I was wrong. I was so wrong. much more. <clears throat> Okay, our second sponsor, before I tell you about a book that I wish I could read again for the first time, is School for Psychics by Casey Archer. This is the first book in a new series starring a young woman with extraordinary abilities who must decide whether she will use her skills for good or not. So the main character is a really funny, impulsive woman named Teddy Cannon who discovers that she has psychic abilities. She is not a typical 20-something. She's resourceful and bright and really scrappy, also has, you know, psychic powers. Uh, she has a series, she makes a series of really bad life decisions. She has a run-in with the cops. And after all that, finds herself at an elite facility where students are trained to use their skills to protect America and the world. So this is like an elite academy specifically for psychics where they learn telepathy and telekinesis and how to use, investigate it, use those for like investigative purposes and SWAT tactics and if they survive their training <laughs> then they go on to serve in really high levels of government using their skills to protect you know like democracy so Teddy is just starting to feel like maybe she's found a place where she belongs and people who are like her and then she's sent on a dangerous mission that causes her to question everything so it seems to me that if you were if you were into like more like Harry Potter with psychics and more espionage then this might be right up that street for you. So that's School for Psychics by K.C. Archer. Okay. Book I wish I could read again for the first time. I'm going to say it's Anna Karenina, and I feel like that's a <gasps> cop-out. Ooh, no. hey, I got I a gasp. Yay. Um, by Tolstoy, obviously. Anna Karenina is probably my favorite book ev ever. Like, just... <gasps> just I had no time. idea. I, I, yeah, it, it's not many people's. <laughs> <laughs> like, really, really long 19th century Russian literature with lots of chapters about wheat. Yep. Not so much a thing that people are, like, super into. But I love this book. I, I was assigned it in high school. So I read it for the first time, uh, I think my junior year of high school. And I hated Anna. I loved the book. And I love how Tolstoy writes and the things that he's considering and the questions he's answering. Like, he's just such an angsty dude. And he's just angsting on the page for... 800 pages, because, like, he could, and he was a count, and why not? Um, but Anna, I could not stand. I could not deal with her. She's so selfish and abandons her family, and it's just the worst, and da-da-da-da. You know, I had these terrible opinions that all 16-year-olds have about everything. And then I read it again when I was about 20, and I got a little bit more sympathetic for Anna. And then I read it again when I was about 25, and I've continued to do that. I've read it every four or five years since high school, and every time I read it, I feel like the the trajectory of my maturation as an adult is com is the same as my growing compassion for the character of Anna Karenina in this book. Um, so it just means a lot to me as like a human and as a reader. And I think that now if I were, I'd just be really interested in being 33 and reading that book for the first time. And I would love to know what I would think of her now because she is so like revolutionary, 
But to me, when I read it for the first time when I was 16, that read as selfish because I didn't realize, you know, pre-feminist awakening or whatever, um, I didn't realize that a woman deciding to be happy despite what society and men tell her to do is a revolutionary act. And that, like, obviously had just never occurred to me. So I had a lot of, like, religious based judgment uh, towards Anna and just all of these these feelings. And I would love to read it again for the first time now, blank slate. Instead, I'll just read it for like the seventh time and be totally happy. <laughs> but yeah, I love that book so much. Yay! <laughs> I read it when I was 18 and that's where I learned that you don't read those essays in the front of classics Ooh, until oh after no. you read the book because everyone just assumes you know everything that's going to happen because it's yeah. old and that's not true at all. So now I always read the essays after. Smart. Yeah. Sorry, man. So. <laughs> I very right. purposefully did not spoil it. Yeah. Even though it is like 200 years old, but still. Yeah. It's like, I've seen it used to describe a couple of other like contemporary novels, and I'm like, that is an absolute spoiler. Like, if you just like say that book is similar to Anna Karenina, like already, it's, it's a spoiler. Yeah, now um, I know what happens to your main character. <laughs> yeah. It's just silly. So, my last pick... All of my books are so heavy this week, but they're all so good. Life is heavy, man. Um, <laughs> my last pick uh, is Indian Horse by Richard Wagamese and Trigger Warning for Substance Abuse and Talks of Racism. Um, but this is a classic. Uh, it's been out for a long time. Milkweed Books is actually putting out a U.S. edition on Tuesday. Um, when I mentioned it on social media this weekend, all the Canadians went crazy. Muppet arming everywhere. Um, they've all... Apparently all of you Canadians have read it and love it. And there's a film coming out in Canada on Friday. Um, but I, myself, did not know of it until a couple years ago uh, and just read it this week. And it's a very slim, powerful novel. It's, it's amazing. It's set in Canada about a man named Saul Indian Horse. And he is, uh, starts out, he's writing his life story from a treatment facility. Um, he is an alcoholic and his last bender has nearly killed him. And he has spent a lot of time in the hospital and now he's in a facility and he doesn't want to tell his story, but his therapist is like, this is the only way you're going to get better. Um, so he's reluctantly, like, writing it down. Starting with the history of his people, the uh, Ojibwe people. And he talks about their the terrible times and the things that happened to them. And how Saul was forcefully put into a residential school when he was young and taken away from his family. And how terrible that is for him. Um, and But it, he is a terrific hockey player. So he had this one thing that he loved to do. And that he was really good at it, but even, like, being good at something didn't save him from the racism and the cultural differences uh, that he experienced. Um, and it just sort of destroys his spirit. And this is, like, a novel about a man trying to get back not only to his heritage, but to himself. And it's, it's so moving, and the writing is just gorgeous. I wish I had read it when he was alive. Like, I read books sometimes by authors who have been alive and passed away, like, in my lifetime. And I wish that I had read it while they were alive because I feel like... I, w I wish I could have put that appreciation, like, into the atmosphere. Like, if that makes any sense. You know, like, I don't know these people and most likely I couldn't say, like, hey, good job, man. But, like, it, I just feel like I wish I could have read it while he was still living. He only passed away last year. Um, but it's just so beautiful and I look forward to reading more by him. Uh, so, again, it's called Indian Horse and it's by Richard Wagamese. All right, my last question is, uh, what is your favorite unsung book? And uh, for this one, I went with I Await the Devil's Coming by Mary McLean, which is the most bonkers, melodramatic, 
like pseudo goth live journal of a book published in 1902. And it is part of Melville House's Never Sink series, which is um, a series of like a a series. I don't know. Like, there's no other word for that. I'm like searching for another word for series that doesn't exist. A series that they put out of books that are um, in danger of kind of, you know, going the way of the dodo that they are trying to preserve and can keep in publication and bring more people's attention to. Um, and it's just so crazy. It's like a, it's a 19 year old girl's diary. Like, that is literally what it is. Mary McLean lived in Butte in Montana. In, uh, she was born in the late 1800s, and in 1902, she published I Await the Devil's Coming, which was her diary at the time she was 19 years old. And it is bananas. It's bananas it's awesome. both in how, like, just g- goofy she is and how seriously she takes herself. And, like, she, you know, she's obsessed with Napoleon, and it talks a lot about how she would like to marry him. Uh, like she has a crush on Napoleon, which is like her that ge- I guess a generational version of how girls now have crushes on Justin Bieber, you know, <laughs> and uh, like her celebrity crush was Napoleon. Um, she's obsessed with her own intelligence. She thinks everyone around her is an idiot. So what I'm saying is, she is an, a 19 year old girl, like just pulled <laughs> right out of any century ever. She is every teenage girl you have ever met or been in your life. And I love it so desperately. Um, So she was also bisexual and talks about that a lot in her diary about like fantasizing about girls and marrying a girl, uh, which in 1902, you know. And so this was an like just bonkers bestseller. It sold over 100,000 copies um, for a diary by a woman and a teenager and a debut uh, from Montana. Like it just boggles the mind. Um, She's one of the earliest probably American feminists in publication. Of course, her book was just like widely censored and people, you know, bonfires of pearl clutching and all of this kind of stuff. Um, The edition from Melville House has a foreword by Jessica Crispin, who is herself a very controversial feminist figure um, living now, obviously. And it's just great. Like, she's a more poetic and articulate version of every teenager you've ever met. I I just love it. Like, I I can't... If she had a 7-Eleven to hang outside of in ripped up fishnets she would have done it but she didn't she's just sat on her farm being angsty and sad and I love it so much and the thing about her like pontifications about her own brilliance is she's not wrong like she's not wrong she's a brilliant writer and her thoughts about feminism and her place in the world and philosophy and the books that she's reading at the time are brilliant like she's not wrong it's just her bragging is so weird uh, to hear from a a teenage girl of any time period we're, we're not used to you know teenage girls knowing their own value we as a society try really hard to prevent them from doing that um but mary wasn't having it and i just love it i love it so much so that's i await the devil's coming by mary mclean i love that book it's so good she is the best she is because she's like if this is how things are supposed to be for me right now you can all stuff it yeah <laughs> it's just it's and I, I i like so love the great. mental image of her saying that to her parents like <laughs> just stuff it and i doubt she did but no. i kind of hope she did i don't know <laughs> so what are you going to read next um, I am going to start A Conjuring of Light, which is the third book in the Shades of Magic series by V.E. Schwab. I just finished the second one, which I have to admit I did not love. I felt like it had some second book syndrome kind of stuff going on. And also the main female character, Lila, I really, I really dislike. And not, not in a like, I usually love unlikable female characters. I think they are fan, like fascinating, but not so much her. I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to finish it and I'm hoping that the things that I didn't love about her in the second book 
are redeemed in the third one, which, you know, Victoria Schwab is an amazing writer and I doubt that she'll leave me hanging. So I'm excited about it. What about you? Uh, yesterday was Rex Manning Day, and today I'm going to read Rock Manning Goes for Broke, which is a novella? Short story? I don't know. I can't tell. It doesn't say. Uh, coming out in September from Subterranean Press. It's by Charlie Jane Anders. It says, Vikings versus Steampunks, Ice Cream Sunday, Hearst Disasters, Roman Gladiators meet vacuum cleaner salesmen, inappropriate uses of exercise equipment and supermarket trolleys, unsupervised fires, and reckless destruction of public property nothing is off limits so it just it sounds okay. awesome it says he is a, a lives and breathes slapstick comedy and his whole life is an elaborate tribute to the masters like buster keaton harold lloyd and jackie chan and he <laughs> creates joyfully chaotic short movies that are full of mayhem and silliness so charlie uh, jane what is your yeah brain? it sounds awesome so that is it for today Thank you so much for stepping up and hanging out and listening to me talk about all this really depressing but important stuff. <laughs> Anytime. It was, they're all so good. Like, <laughs> I just, like, some. I love everything that I talk about on the show, but some days I'm like, these are really good ones, and that's how I feel today. Uh, but thank you again to all our sponsors, to So Delicious Dairy Free, to Third Love and to the School for Psychics. We will have links to all of those in the show notes and you can visit them. We thank them again. Uh, you can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can leave us a comment or ask us a question. We're going to have our anniversary show in May. Um, you can find us on Twitter. I am Miss Liberty and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. And if you want to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review, it helps other book lovers to find us and we greatly appreciate it. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Yay. I did it again. Yay.